0: Hello, and welcome to the Sound of History Podcast. My name is Nick.
1: I'm Mika.
0: I did it take you like five seconds to say that?
1: I don't know, because you recorded me singing. Well,
0: I'm probably not going to get picked up.
1: Okay, good.
0: This is a music history podcast where we're going through the whole story of American music. One genre at a time. Today's a big one. We're going to be talking about the Beatles, who have probably changed music more than anyone else we've talked about to this point. I don't know, it's debatable, but possibly. I don't know. But first, Mika is the host now.
1: My cat is so cute.
0: You didn't do your jingle.
1: Mika is the host now. My <laughs> cat is so cute.
0: Which one? We have several.
1: I mean, both of them. Bi- I'm biased. I know you're not supposed to have a favorite baby, but like, I don't know. I didn't birth them. So my favorite's Ajax.
0: <laughs> Shame.
1: I-, I just love him. <laughs> he loves me. So does that go. Yeah, but not as much. We have a bond.
0: Is that all? At the end of your What segment? movie
1: did we see today? Free Guy. That was good.
0: It's a good movie. Just check I would it I'd like out.
1: to plug Ryan Reynolds.
0: <laughs> everyone would. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Is that the end of me? as the host now? <laughs> what
1: else am I supposed to say? I think you <laughs> just Whatever said you that want. you would like to plug Ryan Reynolds. I don't know where to go from this. <laughs> That's
0: not true. I said everyone would.
1: Are you a part of everyone?
0: Sometimes I don't feel like I am.
1: <laughs> what is happening? Okay. um, So the
0: Beatles. So Mika's no longer the host now. Yeah. This is going to be probably a longer episode and it's going to be full of a lot of things. <laughs> it's going to be full of a lot of things that I may or may not get correct. So if I get stuff wrong... I know there's a lot of, like, major Beatles fans and Beatles scholars out there.
1: We want to learn.
0: Yeah. So, let me know. And the best way to let us know is to uh, let us know on Twitter. Twitter.com slash soundofhistory underscore.
1: I will post a picture of our cat.
0: Yeah. Go for that. So, that's how you can, like, get in touch with us. You should look at
1: it, though. You should. Me? No. No. You look at him. See, look. Here it is. Here he is. (laughs) I'm going to post it.
0: You can post that.
1: I can. Okay.
0: Well, that's the best way to let me know what I got wrong, and then we can bring back an old segment called Correction Corner that we used to do whenever I did stuff wrong. But, you know, I'm just mostly right, so we haven't done that in a long time. I'm kidding. I'm wrong about a lot of stuff. It's just no one calls me out on it.
1: I don't think you're wrong today, though. I think that everyone does want to plug Ryan Reynolds.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Okay, so Beatles... This is a big one. What do you know about the Beatles? What is your background here? What are you bringing into this?
1: I mean, I know some of the music.
0: Okay. Do I you know, know about their Co- names?
1: Co- Coco Ono.
0: Close. Yoko Ono. Okay.
1: I just watched Coco. I want to play <laughs> Coco. Coco is great. I'm a year late. Um, I know about Ringo and John.
0: You know about Ringo or you just know his name? Because I'd be very surprised if you knew about Ringo.
1: I know about Ringo. I know about John. I know about, hold on. Who's the one who's still playing? Who's the one who's still playing?
0: Well, Ringo mm. is also still playing.
1: No, nope, no, nope, no. Nope. Crap. He re- literally released a song like one or two years ago that I liked a lot.
0: He released an album a couple of years ago. Hmm.
1: Ringo. John.
0: I'm so surprised you start with Ringo.
1: (laughs) (laughs) It's the most unique name. It's true. And then John is the most basic name.
0: Yeah. I mean, the two you're missing are kind of basic as well. One's biblical. One's Disney.
1: Stop. Stop. I know this. Wait, one's Disney?
0: I don't know. It's just where my mental connection I made. Mickey. No. That would have been very clear. This one's less clear. I don't even know if it's Disney. It's cartoon.
1: Cartoon. Donald. No.
0: I know <laughs> that's Disney. This one might not.
1: This is so not okay because I do actually kind of know them, but not right now. The
0: one I don't think you're going to get is George. George Harrison.
1: George, George, George. That's where jungle. my mind went. watch out for that dream.
0: I don't but, know if that's Disney or not, but I, that's yeah, where I my think mind is. went.
1: 'Cause it used to play on like all of my VHS tapes.
0: Okay. Well there's still a big one you're missing.
1: <sighs> no thoughts, head empty.
0: Paul McCartney.
1: Thank you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well you got two. You got fifty percent. No,
1: but I but but I know Paul.
0: But you didn't say his name, so that's the same as not I know, not knowing. but
1: I know that I, I, can sing, I can sing one of his songs.
0: Okay, do it. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, we're going to do this episode kind of like we did the Rolling Stones, where we're going to talk about like...
1: That means I get to go...
0: Yes, we're going to do rewinds, because we're going to talk about each of them in turn, and then we'll talk about like after they became a band, kind of what that looked like. So if you haven't listened to our Rolling Stones episode, you should go do that because it was fun.
1: It was fun. It was very fun. Okay. Except for the part where we found out that Charlie died. Yeah. That was not fun. No.
0: Okay. James Paul McCartney was born in Liverpool, England in 1942. His mother was a maternity nurse and his father was a cotton salesman who also played piano in a local jazz band. The family was a pretty typical Northern England working class type of family. The extended family would often come to visit, and they would spend time around his dad's piano just playing and singing music all together as a family. Sounds kind of fun. Paul was always a pretty good student, and he was one of the few in his school who passed an exam that allowed him to attend a more advanced secondary school. In 1954, he met a schoolmate named George Harrison on the bus, and they became Is pretty it good George? friends. Yes. Okay. And they became pretty good friends right off the bat. But Paul said he had a habit of talking down to George because George was a year younger than him.
1: All right. So he's being an asshole boy.
0: Yeah. Or, I mean, yeah. It's just kind of when you're that age, just kind of easy to. Well, I mean. You know
1: everything. And then the the 10th grader does not know everything. The 11th grader knows everything. Well,
0: he's only 12 at this point.
1: What secondary school?
0: Like middle to high school.
1: Secondary is high school.
0: I think it's just, which, I think it's just like after elementary, which probably ends around like sixth grade. I don't know.
1: School is confusing.
0: But this was in 1954. He was born in 42, so about 12 years. Anyway, when Paul was 14, his mother passed away after complications from a mis... I can't say this word mastectomy is that how you say it? Good job yeah that loss would drastically impact Paul for the rest of his life it was the inspiration for the song Let It Be John Lennon also lost his mother at a young age and the two boys bonded over that experience and that was a big fuel for their songwriting Paul's dad expectedly encouraged his budding interest in music since his dad was a Mm-hmm. Piano player in a jazz band. Although he did take formal lessons, Paul preferred to learn by ear and taught himself to play the guitar, trumpet, and piano. Nice. Can you imagine a like 13-year-old teaching himself how to play the trumpet? Yes, I can. That's got to be so annoying to be around. Yeah. By the time he was 16, he had written a song called When I'm 64 and hoped to sell it to Frank Sinatra.
1: Frank doesn't age. (laughs) That's true. So that was just poor planning.
0: (laughs) He was heavily influenced by American R&B and said that Little Richard was his childhood idol. Which we talked about Little Richard, so go back and listen to that episode to learn more about him.
1: I don't remember.
0: He was fun. At age 15. I do remember.
1: Yeah. Yeah, he was crazy.
0: At age 15, Paul went to see a band called The Quarrymen play at a church in Liverpool.
1: We talked about them too.
0: Yes, we did. They were a skiffle band, which was a popular local music style that combined jazz with blues and folk. We also talked about skiffle, and you did not like it.
1: What's skiffle?
0: That was the one where it was the guy who mostly just talked about a train.
1: Oh, yeah, that was the worst song. (laughs) That was horrible.
0: But skiffle itself was like a music craze kind of based off of folk and R&B, and it was very like home instruments. It was a washboard instead of drum or like a tub instead of drums it was.
1: I'm down with that but then if you just talk over it then that's
0: (laughs) dumb. But that's why it became so popular because especially in these working class families you didn't have to pay a lot for instruments. They were just kind of around so Skiffle became popular and Paul went to go see this band called The Quarrymen. I have a very important question. I don't think it's important. It is! Okay. How
1: dare you? I have to think of the name of the song. Uh oh is is um is the the campyard campyard song from Tarzan is that skiffle no it is
0: <laughs> i don't think it is
1: but they're using they're using all of the camp all of the campground stuff
0: okay sure it is okay well, except we'll, we'll, for yes. i don't we'll know if like skiffle. an
1: elephant nose counts as like a home instrument
0: it is for the elephant okay trunk is always in its home
1: i told you i told you that it was very important okay
0: uh so paul knew one of the members of the Quarrymen, and he was asked to play a few numbers that night at the show he made such a good impression that the band's leader john lennon soon asked him to become a permanent member What is that? Oh, about
1: because that's why we talked about oh, the men okay. is because it's John.
0: Yeah, it's yeah. His band.
1: Okay, I forgot that.
0: All right. Well, we're going back in time. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> that
0: was not one of your best work. <laughs> John Lennon was born in October of 1940 in Liverpool, right in the middle of a German air raid. Okay, she leaned into (laughs) her mic and then did not say anything.
1: Well, what are you supposed to say? I
0: don't know, but you leaned into your
1: mic. Well, that's just, you know, like what a way to enter the world. Yeah, that's all.
0: His father was a sailor who was away at the time of his birth. Another thing he had in common was Paul because Paul's father was away.
1: These women just holding it down like this poor mom giving birth in the middle of an air raid with no support. What's happening here? I mean,
0: to be fair, probably most of the men were at war at this point.
1: You know what? Okay, yeah, I take it back.
0: I don't know that his dad was because his dad was like a kind of like a merchant sailor. So I don't think he was in the Navy. I might be wrong about that. Don't know. Anyway, uh, but John had very little contact with his dad throughout his entire life. Like they weren't close at all. John was raised by his aunt and uncle, but developed a close relationship with his mother who taught him to play the banjo when he was a kid. They shared a love of Elvis's music. The family had kind of a strange living situation. Since his dad was gone a lot, his parents separated. When his father returned and offered to look after the family, John's mom, who was already pregnant with another man's child, refused. Then, That's fair. then John's mother's sister complained to social services and got custody of John.
1: That's also probably a good idea. Yeah.
0: But his mother stayed in pretty close contact with his aunt and uncle throughout the whole his whole life.
1: That's nice. I can respect that.
0: Yeah, and that kind of situation wasn't exactly uncommon in the wake of World War II, but it did affect John pretty deeply and filled him with, a like, quite a bit of bitterness about the whole family situation. Yeah. There's also a story—I don't know if I get into this later. I don't remember. But there's a story that, like, his mom only got with his dad because her parents told her not to, <laughs> and she had that kind of, like, defiant rebel spirit that John Lennon also had. So she was very like, okay, you say not to do this, I'm going to go do this, and then.
1: Goodness, can you imagine having a daughter? <laughs> no. Seems scary. Yeah,
0: his mom was his mom was fun. I did not think we get into this. John later said of his family situation, "quote I did my best to disrupt every friend's home,
1: partly oh my god,
0: partly out of envy that I didn't have this so called home, but I did. There were five women that were my family." Five strong, intelligent, beautiful women. Five sisters. One happened to be my mother. She just couldn't deal with life. She was the youngest, and she had a husband who ran away to sea, and the war was on, and she couldn't cope with me, and I ended up living with her elder sister. Now, those women were fantastic, and that was my first feminist education. I would infiltrate the other boys' minds. I could say, parents are not gods because I don't live with mine, and therefore I know. End quote. So he is okay. a very interesting perspective on family life during this time, which makes sense. Yeah, apparently, all of his friends loved his mom because she was very like whimsical and carefree, and like just would let them do whatever they wanted. So they would all want to go hang out with her. She was more like their she friend than awesome. a mom. Yeah. Zhang's aunt didn't approve of his spending so much time with music, but his mother loved it. She bought him his first guitar when he was a teenager. John often traveled with his cousin to Blackpool to watch different shows that would come through. When he was 17, John's mother was killed after being struck by a car. That tragedy impacted John very deeply, and he spent the next two years drinking really heavily and just getting into fights and just not in a good mental space from that. In 1957 inspired by the success of elvis and other rock and roll stars john started his own band and named it after his school it was called the Quarrymen. men
1: why did he name it after his school
0: i don't know i mean i'm bad at naming things so i can't blame him. But, but
1: after his school I don't know.
0: what like i i just don't know what that exactly what is the school called the Quarry? what is i don't know i don't know later that year he met paul mccartney and asked him to join the band The band played in a few different local churches, and Paul and John bonded and started writing songs together, mostly at Paul's house, even though Paul's dad didn't approve of John and thought that John would get Paul into trouble, which...
1: He probably did? Yeah,
0: to be fair, probably did. Okay. Paul then recommended his friend George Harrison join the band, but John thought George, at only 14 years old, was far too young to join a rock and roll band. Uh Uh-huh. Even though the boys were like 15 15 or 16. 16 think john might be a little bit older at this point
1: because he was at least 17 right
0: yeah well that his mother died when he was 17 he was born in 1940 and paul was born in 42 so he's two years older than paul and paul's one year older than george
1: 17
0: yeah so he's 17 paul's 15 george is 14
1: yeah
0: all right now i gotta find my spot again
1: how old was ringo
0: we're not to him yet he comes in way later why we'll get there you just, don't jump ahead but they set up an audition and George was so impressive that they asked him to join which at this point I think impressive just means he can play a few songs they liked like I don't right. think he's good at guitar at all at this right. point he's just probably better than them Lennon also brought in a friend from art school whose name was Stu Sutcliffe to play bass. Stu is important, so you got to remember him. Stu. He's sometimes he's one of the many people who is sometimes referred to as the fifth Beatle.
1: So it's like a sometimes why situation.
0: Yes. Sometimes <laughs> Stu. Yes, sometimes Stu. All right, we're going back in time.
1: <laughs>
0: that was a lot of lip action in that one. <laughs> I'll show you lip action. All right. <laughs> George Harrison was born the youngest of four children in Liverpool in 1943. His father was a bus conductor and his mother was a shop assistant. Is
1: this... Who is this? George. Oh. George Harrison. Not we've sometimes Stu.
0: No. We've talked... We don't... Stu doesn't have his whole Why? backstory. because is important. This is long enough, but... Yeah, Stu met. Stu was a big, like, artist. He was super into art. John was going to art school at the time to study graphic design. The two met, became very good friends. Questionably better friends with Stu than he was with Paul.
1: Okay, but George.
0: Yes. He was the youngest of four children, born in Liverpool in 1943. His father was a bus conductor, and his mother was a shop assistant. Like the rest of the Beatles, he wasn't from a wealthy family, and by his own admission, wasn't a great student. He said he didn't really care about grades and lost all interest in school when he picked up a guitar. In class, he'd often draw sketches of guitars in his notebook instead of, like, actually paying attention and stuff.
1: That's adorable.
0: Ever since he heard Elvis play, he longed to learn the guitar. He first heard Elvis playing from a random house as he rode his bike through the neighborhood when he was 13. So someone was just playing Elvis in a window, and he just heard it. He was riding along, changed his life. It's adorable. At first, his father didn't care for the new musical interest, but eventually he caved and bought George his first guitar. One of his father's friends taught him to play a few songs. He was inspired by Carl Perkins, Little Richard, and Buddy Holly. Also around this time, he became friends with a school classmate, Paul McCartney. The two talked a lot about music and the new rock and roll coming across the ocean. When Paul's new band that he joined with John Lennon needed a new guitarist, Paul pitched George for the spot. At first, what?
1: You're telling me a lot of stuff I already know.
0: Yeah, but you're going to forget, so I'm hammering it home.
1: Yeah, but they won't.
0: You don't know that. Don't assume.
1: Don't assume that they're going to forget.
0: At first, John Lennon didn't want him in the band since he was young, but he impressed John with his guitar playing and was invited to play in a few gigs with the group.
1: I'm bored.
0: (laughs) At this point, the Quarrymen were not really anything major at all. They played a few local dances and even played once in a jazz club, but got in trouble because they played rock and roll instead of jazz. Ooh! That was a <laughs> Weird noise.
1: I'm yawning.
0: <laughs> the skiffle craze was almost over at this point, and most of the bands changed their names, but the Quarrymen couldn't. Why? Because they had the word Quarrymen written on the drum set. So <laughs> they were just stuck as the Quarrymen. The band was in transition at this point. When Paul joined, some of the other members didn't really appreciate his style of doing things and started to leave. They he Paul is very like type A perfectionist. He wants things done right and like on like he's a take charge kind of person. And a lot of the querymen prior to him joining were just like John's old school buddies who were just like having fun, goofing off, playing some music. So when Paul joined and like wanted to actually take it seriously, they were like, this is not what I wanted, and just started to bounce. They tried a few different names for the group. John and Paul would hitchhike to gigs and play acoustic shows together quite often that helped to cement their friendship, and probably their like songwriting partnership. By 1960, they settled on the Silver Beatles, a name supposedly coined by John and Stu Sutcliffe. But still, they had a hard time finding a permanent drummer. They also landed a tour of Scotland, opening for a pop singer from Liverpool. You still tracking? You seem out of it.
1: Writing music, can't find name, silver, can't find drummer. (laughs) Liverpool.
0: Their manager arranged for them to do a residency in Hamburg, Germany. They signed with a club promoter in Hamburg to play almost every day for three and a half months. But wow. they still needed a drummer before they could, like, really commit to this long stretch. Paul McCartney saw a drummer playing with a group called the Blackjacks. Is it Ringo? No. Oh. He had a steady beat that pushed the rhythm forward. The female fans described him as, quote, mean, moody, and magnificent.
1: <laughs> Who is this guy?
0: So Paul thought he'd be a perfect fit for their band. After the Blackjacks broke up, Paul convinced him to join the Beatles. Uh the drummer actually passed most of his exams, which the others didn't, but decided going to Hamburg with the group would be a better idea than continuing his education. Was it? Well, for the rest of them, yes, for him probably not so much. Oh. His name is Pete Best, by the way.
1: Pete Pete. I like him.
0: Pete Best. He's there kind of like a more interesting history with the Beatles than I wrote down here, but, you know, long enough already.
1: Why I want to know about Mysterious Man Pete.
0: Well, his mom opened up a club in their basement for, like, young teenagers to come and, like, play music and hang out. Okay. I can't remember the name of the club. But Pete first saw the Quarrymen play there and kind of, like, fell in love with that. And he decided to start trying to play drums after seeing them perform and then he was younger than him i think and just mm-hmm. didn't really like they never connected until they needed a drummer and then he yeah they got in touch mm-hmm. with him so it's different backstory but i'm yeah. still
1: wanting to know why a woman was like let me start a venue for children it's or, a little weird
0: it's it's just the thing that was like Social clubs were a big thing back then. You, like, were a member of a club or whatever, and it's just where you hung out. I don't know. It's hard, but she just wanted, I guess she wanted her kids, she wanted to support their interests and also keep them probably closer.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: The five-piece band really developed while they were in Hamburg. It's considered to be kind of like their apprenticeship. They were basically only playing music for months on end and really getting into the energy of the red light district where the clubs were. They were not in a good area of town. Very seedy, full of like strip clubs, brothels. They were playing until like 4 a.m. most mornings, like living in not great conditions, but hmm. they basically just like lived and breathed music. And They were also taking a lot of quaaludes to stay awake so they could keep playing and then they would take, like, sleeping pills to go to sleep. I think that's the name of the drug. I don't remember. But they were taking drugs to stay awake during all of this. But then they got in trouble because they played at a different club, which was against their contract. They were only supposed to play at one specific club, and then they decided they could make a little bit better money playing a gig at the other club, and then they got in trouble. So the club owner gave them a termination notice. And he had George deported for being underage. And then Paul and Pete were arrested for arson when they set a condom on fire in their room.
1: I'm sorry, a condom?
0: Yes. There's differing accounts. Some people said they just did it for fun. But I think Paul said that they needed light as they were packing stuff up. I don't know. But like this. All the, right. The Hamburg Beatles are a very different sort of Beetles than <laughs> you're used to. They were more like rough and rock and roll and like dirtier and grungier. They weren't, they were like swearing and drinking on stage. They weren't like the suits and clean cut type that we're used to picturing. For the next two years.
1: methaqualone is a sedative.
0: Oh, maybe that's what they took to it. I don't remember. They took, they were taking some drugs to stay awake. I'm taking a lot of them. Cocaine. I don't think it was cocaine. I think it was a pill. For the next two years, the Beatles played various different residencies in Germany. In 1961, Stu dropped out of the band to focus on his art studies. He also had a girlfriend in Germany, a German girlfriend named Astrid, who was like... Astrid? Yes. Who was like... She's the one who first gave Stu his haircut, which was a typical Beatles haircut. She gave him that haircut. The rest of the Beatles made fun of it. Until it started getting a lot of attention with the girls. And they're like, okay, sure. And then they did it too. She also took a lot of like the first photos of the Beatles. Because she was a photography Hmm. student. Like she was super into photography. So she took a lot of like post pictures of them around industrial places. And it's the first pictures we have of the Beatles. So Astrid was a huge part of early Beatles. So Stu got into an art program in Germany. So he stayed behind and was like living with Astrid while he was doing his art program. After Stu left, Paul switched to playing the bass. John Lennon said about the Hamburg years, quote, It was Hamburg that did it. That's where we really developed. To get the Germans going and keep it up for 12 hours at a time, we really had to hammer. We would never have developed as much if we'd stayed at home. We had to try anything that came into our heads in Hamburg. There was nobody to copy from. We played what we liked best, and the Germans liked it as long as it was loud. By doing this, they got the attention of a record store owner in England who fell in love with them and relentlessly pushed record labels to sign them. A lot of labels turned them down, including DECA, but they eventually auditioned for an EMI producer named George Martin. He was kind of like a producer on a smaller label within EMI, who signed them in 1962. At this time, their manager wanted them to smarten up their image and started grooming them for national success. Still tracking? Throwing a lot of information at I don't like
1: grooming boys. That's fair. I don't like it. I like for boys to groom themselves. <laughs> so don't misunderstand me.
0: That's probably more what he's going for here.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: During their first recording sessions at Abbey Road Studios, George Martin complained about hey. Pete Best's drumming. Where? Abbey Road Studio. <laughs> That's where most of their recording was on. George Martin, their producer, complained about Pete Best's drumming. The others were already kind of thinking about removing him, so that was the final straw, and Best Aww. was kicked out of the group.
1: Oh, poor Pete.
0: There's a lot of, like, differing theory. A lot of people think they were just jealous of him, and that's why they kicked him out. Because he was hotter. Yeah, and a lot of the girls <laughs> were, like, screaming for him, and there were points where they would move his drum set to the front of the stage because the girls were, like, screaming for him, and, and a lot of different accounts. But... <laughs>
1: I'm Googling this, man.
0: But also with George Martin, their producer, saying he wasn't on board with the drumming. There's also talk about, like, George, he wouldn't listen to George, and George wanted a little bit more control over the sound. So, I don't know. Different accounts, but whatever. Pete Best is gone. In his place, they recruited Ringo Starr from another local band. All right, while you look him up, then we're going to go back in time. (laughs) Richard Starkey. Was born in Liverpool in 1940. Is that his name? Yes. Stop. He was the only child of confectioners.
1: Oh, he's not cute. Pete? Oh, he's cute there. Never mind.
0: He's probably cuter than Ringo.
1: Oh, not there. He's definitely cuter than Ringo. <laughs> <laughs> sweet, sweet Ringo.
0: He was the only child of confectioners. He grew up confectioners? in
1: Confectioners? A... Yes.
0: He grew up in a very rough area with a father who preferred to drink and fight than be a father. Violent crime ran rampant in Ringo's area. He learned how to survive very early on. Ringo held, Ringo held a few odd jobs here and there, and it was working at a machinery that his friend introduced him to Skiffle, and he became a fanatic. So he didn't really like grow up playing it like the rest of them. He, kinda, he was already out of school when he first started hearing it. Soon after first hearing it, he started playing with that friend who introduced him. The friend later said, quote, I played guitar, and Richie would just make a noise on a box. End quote. The band grew to include a few new members, and Ringo was gifted a very crude secondhand drum set that helped the band elevate their sound. They were able to secure a few good gigs, and they did a few different residencies, including one in Wales and one in Hamburg. And it was in Hamburg in 1960 that he, like, first met the Beatles and started hanging out with them. By early 1960, the Hurricanes, which was his band, had become one of Liverpool's biggest bands amongst young fans. But in 1962, he accepted the offer to replace Pete Best. And that, like, which is kind of in a wild thing at that time because the Beatles didn't have a lot of going for them. Like, they weren't. They weren't seen as one of Liverpool's brightest bands. And mm-hmm. he was in the Hurricanes, which was like a pretty big band in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So for him to defect was kind of a big deal. And it also didn't go over well with the Beatles fans who really loved Pete. Yeah. So they would like have a lot of signs at gigs. <laughs> like Mad at Ringo and wanting Pete back. In 1962, they released their first single, Love Me Do, with Ringo on drums. It was the first of many, many singles created entirely, like written entirely by John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Here is Love Me Do.
1: Ooh. When did they do Beatles versus Love, Silver?
0: love Me Do? It was a round I hamburger. love you. i always be true. And They went with Beatles because they liked. Buddy Holly and the Crickets. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: And they like that it was kind of a play on words with beat and Beatles. That's dumb. Love, love me it's spelled like Beatles. Spelled like that. I love you. I'll always
1: be true. I've never noticed it was spelled differently. I just thought that's, that's how you spell Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure
0: Beatles is too easy. That's all Beetlejuice is. I
1: don't know. All
0: right, let's want to keep
1: Do. watching the little babies. We have
0: more of their songs. That single performed okay. It was okay. pretty good, though, actually.
1: The song? Yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, for their first single, it's pretty good. It performed okay, but it didn't really like wow anybody. It hung around the bottom parts of the charts. The Beatles craze didn't fully kick in until their next single, which was released in early 1963. George Martin, the producer, suggested they try a song Lennon and McCartney wrote at a faster tempo, and after recording it said, quote, you've just made your first number one. He was right. Please Please Me topped the charts for 30 weeks and established them as England's premier rock and roll group.
1: We listened to that one. Maybe, yeah.
0: George Martin is also another one who's sometimes referred to as the fifth Beatle along That's fair. along with Stu and Pete Best. And there's, there's a lot of fifth Beatles. And beetles. their manager. They're not the manager who Huh? It, it's
1: I thought George Martin was their manager.
0: No, George Martin's their producer. George Martin oh. worked for a record label. Okay. And their original manager owned a coffee shop and he's the one who got them into like Hamburg. Mm. Okay, But then I don't know if we talk about this in the script. It's been a long time since I've written this, but they dropped that manager and then they signed with a new guy who like worked at or who father owned a record store and he was like managing that record store. Hmm. And I think that's the manager that got him connected with George Martin. And that's the manager who like helped them clean up and establish their image and is sometimes known as the fifth beetle because he did a lot to help them.
1: I think that that's dumb. I think that you can be known as the manager of the Beatles but, and not be counted as one of the band members.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, like, I think that's it's, dumb. I think it's just because he did like a whole lot like it, without him. We the Beatles probably would not be anywhere near. But OK,
1: great. It's just he's still not a Beatle. <laughs> I mean, it's
0: just a just the turtle. But here's Please Please Me again.
1: You look that is intentional a little bit. i, know never even drive, I don't like this
0: come, 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 right? come on come on come on pets i don't like it i don't like the song <laughs> <laughs> All right, please please me. Their manager, ever conscious of their potential, further shaped their image on stage. He said, quote, look, if you really want to get in these bigger places, you're going to have to change. Stop eating on stage. Stop swearing. Stop smoking. He also asked them to wear proper clothes instead of jeans, but let them have a little bit of their own style as well. Mostly in like hair. Because their hair was very long for the time. Throughout the end of 1963, the Beatles continued to ascend to the top of the English music world, but their singles didn't break out in the U.S. at all. When they released their first album in 1963, George Martin decided to give it a live album feel because he kind of recognized that, like, they were a club band. They were playing 12 hours a day in Hamburg, so he tried to, like, capture that in their album. They played the whole thing in one session with minimal production. That decision gave the album an energy and freshness similar to their marathon sessions in Hamburg that excited the English public.
1: It's really smart. Yeah,
0: he's a great producer. And it's also like a rare thing where he wasn't trying to exploit them at all. Like they got super lucky with George Martin. Even when they got famous, he was all about just like trying to make their music as good as he could make it without like wanting to get super rich from it. I don't even think he had royalties on it. I think he just did his producer salary from his Mm -hmm. label and that was it. But that's, I might be wrong on that, but I think that's how it is. By late 1963, after a second album, Beatlemania spread firmly across England. All of their singles sold a million copies. They were met by scores of screaming fans at their concerts, and their music showed true progression. They responded to the increased media attention with comical, sarcastic comments, which further endeared them to the public.
1: Yeah, that's awesome.
0: Yeah. They were more than just musicians, they were becoming like cultural icons, kind of the spearhead of this rebellious 60s idea that was happening. By the time they released a breakout single from the second album, I Want to Hold Your Hand, music critics started to see the power of the Lennon-McCartney songwriting partnership.
1: I think that that song might be one of my favorites. I I I really think that might be my favorite one.
0: Favorite Beatles song or favorite song ever? Beatles song. But here's them performing I just think it's cute. You
1: watch this one too. Yeah, I mean,
0: so. oh, yeah, I, so it's, it's just a bob.
1: Like, It's just fun. Like I know that there are better songs than sing but like, yeah. this one's might be better. Very I my favorite.
0: I think yesterday my favorite. Yesterday
1: was my favorite.
0: Also say to me, you let me be
1: your man. And these, say to me, you let me hold your hand. you let me hold your
0: hand. I want to hold your hand. And I in the middle.
1: This looks a little I out of this feel
0: all right that's i want to hold your hand god performed on the ed sullivan show we won't talk much about the beatles american takeover since we kind of already covered that in the british invasion episode so go listen to that if you want to hear it again but they embarked on their first american tour in 1964 after a performance on the ed sullivan show which we just watched america went crazy for the beatles the term Beatlemania was coined and it was a whole new world after that no one before and probably since has ever achieved their level of fame and excitement. Like I can't think of anyone who was ever like as popular as the Beatles were.
1: Well, we don't have like media changed how we get excited about things like yeah. just cultural phenomenons in general are different. So it's kind of like hard to compare.
0: Yeah, that's fair. It's I like still just don't see people like, lining up to welcome people as they get off a plane like everywhere they went.
1: We're not really allowed.
0: (laughs) You can meet at the airport. You can line up in the airport. I don't know. It's just it's a like when you like Mm -hmm. start hearing stories about things their fans did like laying on top of their cars as they were pulling away from things and like they had fans who would literally stay outside their houses all day just like catch a glimpse of them and they were like sometimes like Paul would just walk out and just hang out and talk to his fans and then like go back inside his house. Like it's crazy. That's
1: first of all, precious. Yeah. Second of all, why would you like stand outside of their house when you can just pull up a picture of them on Instagram?
0: That's true. But apparently they one fan called Paul on his like little box on his gate to warn him that his wife was coming home when he was cheating on her. Are you serious? (laughs) That's one story I read, yeah. In 1964, they signed a three-film deal, mostly because the studio that offered the deal knew they could make a ton of money off of the soundtracks, which they did. The first film and album, A Hard Day's Night, is widely considered as the Beatles kind of coming into their own musically and starting to try some new things instead of their just like simple pop songs that they had been doing. Here's the song, Hard Day's Night. I like this one too. This, I like this fun. one. fun. The next song we'd like to sing oh sideburn.
1: Moment. People don't respect like girls' opinions on things. Because like, really, here we are, like, oh my god, the Beatles, and like, we were just the hottest boy band that girls were losing their mind over. Like, women, you know, yeah. good taste. That's
0: Hard days, night. performed somewhere. Don't know. The albums they released in the mid '60s are considered to be not up to the Beatles' typical standard. People attribute that to the relentless touring and the press demands so they had just less time to sit around and write songs or practice or really just like grow as musicians at all. They were a part of a music machine, trying to churn out more money with more songs and albums. The music from this period was also very varied. They experimented a bit more and tried some new things, still backed by their producer George Martin. In 1966, they made a tough decision. They decided to retire from performing and become only a studio band. Ringo later said that they did that because they could tell they were becoming worse musicians. The screaming fans didn't allow for much subtle musicality on stage. They couldn't even really hear themselves. It also didn't allow for a ton of growth offstage because they didn't have the time, with all of the touring and other demands. They also had nothing left to prove from a commercial standpoint. All they had left was to prove that they actually were good musicians. So they stopped performing. which I think is like a bold decision.
1: Yeah, it definitely is.
0: Making a ton of money, but they're like, we've already proved that we can sell music. Now we just got to prove that we like earn that.
1: It's kind of funny because I feel like it's flip-sided now. Yeah. Where like you aren't as respected until you know you can play live and still be as good a musician as you are That's in the right, studio. Yeah. Anyone Auto-tune can be a good, changed, yeah. Anyone can be a, a good musician mm-hmm. in a studio, because it's not just the artist.
0: Yeah, it's
1: the production. Yeah, so now it's like kind of flipped.
0: Yeah. This was an unheard of step from a band at this time. No band of their popularity. Granted, there were no bands as popular as them, but no band with like consistent hits just stopped touring. Like that didn't happen. It was guaranteed money to tour. Most people thought this meant that the band was breaking up, and it didn't help that they all spent the rest of 1966 on personal solo projects. But then, in 1967, they released Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It was released at the start of the summer of love and became the de- defining album of the 60s. Potentially the best album of all time, depending on who you talk to.
1: Woohoo! What is on this album? Uh, I'm gonna pull
0: it up it's not really I don't think it's known as much for its singles as it is just like as an album as the, like yeah, as a concept cohesive unit. Yeah. they became spokesmen of the new psychedelic generation it helped people see that pop music could be art and it outsold all of their previous albums you finding any you know well yeah well, here is my favorite song from that album, which is the one Paul wrote for Frank Sinatra when I'm 64.
1: This one's your favorite? This
0: one I like a lot. I like guess just fun.
1: When I get older, losing my head, just... many years from now. Let me down till quarter to three. Would you lock the door? Will you still need me? Will you still feed me?
0: It's probably changed a lot I mean, from yeah, the one he wrote still. when he was 14. After that, they continued to press into the psychedelic sound, and they also released a couple of other films. I think, like, Yellow Submarine was released at this time, which was an animated film, so they didn't even really have to do that much with it. But by the end of 1967, their strength and status started to unravel. Ooh. Their longtime manager committed suicide, leaving them without a manager for the first time ever in their career. Man. Their film, Magical Mystery Tour, which is widely considered lacking any direction and is just completely bombed. In early 1968, they went to India for a course on transcendental meditation with a really renowned guru, but they all left before completing the course, which led to some more media backlash. (laughs) They were able to use that time to compose some new, great music. They released the White Album in 1968, which was a return to the more guitar-centric rock and away from the psychedelic sound. During this time, the relationship of the band members started to turn a little bit hostile. Ringo quit for a couple of weeks during recording, so Paul had to fill fill in on drums for a few songs, like Back in the USSR. Mm Mm-hmm. John Lennon also started a relationship with Yoko Ono, who is an avant-garde artist, and brought her to their recording sessions, despite the band's well-established rule that girlfriends were not allowed at recording. They also thought Yoko was taking his attention away from music. They said that the White Album was not a fun one to make, and both Lennon and McCartney mark it as the start of the band's breakup. Yeah, Yoko was like Yoko and John at least when they started were just attached at the hip. Like she yeah. would just like sit at his feet during recording, like.
1: That's fine. That's cute.
0: Yeah, it's not like she was just in the room. Like she was like right there involved with everything. So it might have been a little distracting.
1: Yeah, maybe not when recording, I guess. Yeah.
0: And also if no one else was allowed to bring their girlfriends. It's kind of a jerk move to bring yours in.
1: See, I feel like as a person that doesn't know much about the Beatles, I feel like she gets a little bit shafted because Probably. it's not her fault. No. She just she just living life.
0: Yeah, I mean I I see both sides because like it's definitely not her fault, but she did take his attention away from the Beatles because like once he started dating her, he was more focused on their weird little art projects and doing his like. Because they had, like, the Yoko Ono band or something that he started doing with her, which was really weird. Hmm. So, like, she did take his attention away, but at the same time, their attentions were already drifting anyway. Like, they weren't going to last long, regardless. They also started a record label, which was a huge enterprise and much more than just a label. It was originally envisioned by their manager before his death. It was called Apple, and it started to become a commercial nightmare and cost (laughs) them a bunch of money. Like, it wasn't just a label. It was, like, they wanted an art gallery. They wanted, like, clothing stores. They wanted, like, publishing and the label. And, like, it was just wild. But at the same time, they didn't know how to run a business. So, like, they were just giving away things all the time. Like, it was was a mess. I think if their manager had lived, he might have been able to control it a little bit better. Because he was, like, a strict businessman. But, you know, they couldn't do it. Nevertheless, the Beatles tried to press on. Despite Paul and John bickering constantly, which, as the core of the group, spelled disaster, yeah. they hit the studio in early 1969 to record. Paul pressured the other guys to start touring again, but no one else really wanted to. George even left the band for a few days during these sessions. They generally didn't like these sessions and held them back while they tried to figure out what they were going to do next. They came together one last time to record what is considered by many to be their best album, Abbey Road. Despite them all recording their parts separately and not really seeing a lot of each other during recording, the album feels more unified than the previous ones. It is technically their last album recorded, although it was released before Let It Be. Let It Be, that album, was the recording that they did that they didn't feel was good enough to release, so they held it back. Wow. So then Abbey Road came after that, but it was released first. Abbey Road is kind of a masterpiece, and it's fitting for that to be the Beatles' send-off album. Like, I I prefer thinking of Abbey Road as the last one. Here's the opening song of Abbey Road, ironically called Come Together. you just looking through their discography now?
1: Yeah. Just trying to figure out like where which song is, you
0: know? A lot of the like big ones were not on an album. I've realized yeah. like, I don't think I Rigby was on an album. I think it was just like a single release.
1: It's just so sad that they didn't like record it all together. Like it's yeah. so cool.
0: Also crazy, this was uploaded two, three years ago. It has 86 million views he still.
1: Got <laughs> he football, he got 86
0: finger. million he people have a look for his songs.
1: Cola, said,
0: I One of them is 60 know years you old. <laughs> in the past few years. Alright, let's come to together.
1: I like the Beatles. <laughs>
0: By the time of Let It Be's release, the band was basically done. They all had serious solo ventures going on and didn't like each other all that much. The final nail in the coffin seemed to be when the band asked Paul to delay his solo album release until after Let It Be released, but he just refused to do that. Paul also didn't like some of the production work on Let It Be. There was one song in particular, or two songs, that was just a mess. George Martin didn't know what to do with it. Mm. So he sent it to another big producer who we're going to talk about in a few weeks named Phil Spector to clean up. And Phil Spector kind of turned it into a little bit more grand song, and Paul wanted it to be like simple and Mm. just him and a piano. So he didn't like that at all. And he also didn't like that it was sent to Phil without his knowledge. So even though he did far more than the others to keep the band together during this rough period, he officially left and it all fell apart after that. Lennon had been kind of like on and off for a while. but When does
1: he die and get replaced?
0: Paul, before Sergeant Peppers is what the rumor says. Okay. <laughs> uh Yeah, John Lennon had been on and off for quite a while, but that was all behind the scenes. Like... Lennon quit the band probably four or five times, but they convinced him to just keep it under wraps, and so he did. And then would eventually rejoin. But like as soon as Paul left, he announced that he left the band in a press release, and that's what like officially killed the Beatles. Because it's possible that if he didn't do that press release, they would have
1: he would have come back. Yeah, at some he would have come back
0: because I think it broke his heart that he left, and I don't think I think the press release was taken in a way he didn't mean for it to be. So people just like, oh, this is Paul leaving. And he's like, what? No. Yeah, apparently Paul didn't view his release as an announcement of him leaving the band. He viewed it more as talking about his coming solo album, and he was devastated by the way the public reacted, since most of them blamed him for killing the Beatles. When asked about the announcement, Ringo said, quote, it's news to me. And John said, quote, it was nice to find that he was still alive. Anyway, you can say I said jokingly, he didn't quit. I sacked him. And as is typical, George refused to comment. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how it goes. Goodness. Like, Lennon or John and Paul were always, like, bickery and, like, using headlines to spar with each other. And Ringo's like, I'm everybody's friend. (laughs) I'm kind (laughs) of like everyone. Precious. And George is like, I'm just not here. That's basically the vibe.
1: Goodness (laughs) gracious.
0: The others all stated that Paul was just bitter at the lack of control, uh, especially of the last album. And they all said that he ran Apple into financial ruin and he didn't like the manager that the others appointed because once their previous manager died, Paul wanted like his father-in-law to be their new manager or something. Someone in his family to be their new manager. The others appointed, I think the Rolling Stones manager or something like that. That
1: seems like the obvious choice. Yeah. I don't know if it was the Stones. It
0: was someone. It was like some big American businessman who had done good in music elsewhere Like, he had negotiated a lot of great contracts for other artists. So they wanted him, and then Paul didn't get his way, and I think Paul was very bitter that he wasn't getting his way because he was used to getting his way. Uh, So the public and the band basically blamed Paul for the breakup, but really the breakup was inevitable. Like, I don't think anyone should really be blamed for it. John Lennon had been on and off for at least a year. He spent more time working on a band with Yoko than he ever did with the Beatles. Well, not ever, but than he did with the Beatles during those years. And he was abusing heroin. The other band members were never sure if he was actually out for good or if he'd come back eventually, since he flip-flopped a bunch. And John said that the running of Apple was more important to the others than the music, so he just wasn't really interested in that. He was always the more artsy one and didn't really care that much for like the commercial side of it. But the drama didn't end with the breakup of the band, which was in 1970. In order to dissolve their commercial contracts, they battled in court for years after that.
1: That sounds horrible.
0: Yep, and that also meant that there was just absolutely no hope of a reunion. People thought they might set aside their differences and still record an album, like they did with Abbey Road and Let It Be, but with all of the different contractual stuff going, that just wasn't ever going to happen. Since the breakup of the Beatles in 1970, they all launched successful solo careers.
1: They all did? Yeah. Oh. I didn't know that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: John Lennon released music as a solo artist to generally good reception. He also became something of a political activist, and he stayed with Yoko Ono. When the two had a son, John stepped back from music and took a five-year hiatus to raise him. He did write a few songs. One of them appeared on Ringo's album— and he also started to draw, which had been a hobby since he was a kid. And he started to, like, write a little bit. In 1980, after his little hiatus, he announced his return to music and released an album. On December 8th, 1980, John Lennon autographed a copy of that album for a fan of his while he was on his way to a recording session. When he got back from that session, the same fan shot him twice in the back and twice in the shoulder, Like, which what the killed hell,
1: him. actually?
0: Yeah. And apparently that fan said he was like debating, like he was almost didn't do it because John had been so nice to him when he signed it.
1: Uh, what? what else did he say?
0: That, uh, a lot of things. <laughs> it's not, I don't know. Don't want to give him a lot of attention because he's, you know, not great. Yoko said there would be no funeral for John. He was cremated and she scattered his remains in Central Park where the Strawberry Fields Memorial now is. Which you know, we... I
1: don't know if I realize that.
0: Yeah, well, we've been there.
1: I know, multiple yeah. times. And I don't know if I realized that.
0: <laughs> John stayed close with Ringo after the band broke up, but had varied relationships with the others, which is a theme. He was mostly friendly with George, and George visited him a few times, but when George released an autobiography that barely mentioned John, John's feelings were hurt. <laughs> He said, quote, I was hurt by it, by glaring omission. My influence on his life is absolutely zilch. He remembers every two-bit sax player or guitarist he met in subsequent years. I'm not in the book, end quote. Seems like such a petty thing to be upset about, but you know, whatever.
1: No, I get it.
0: Initially, Paul and John fought viciously in the press for a few years. But they started to reconcile in the mid-70s before growing apart again. A few days before his death, John said, quote, throughout my career, I've selected to, t- to work with only two people, Paul McCartney and Yoko Ono. That ain't bad picking, end quote. George Harrison also started a very successful solo career that he maintained through the 70s and 80s. He even started a super group with Roy Orbison, Tom Petty, and Bob Dylan. What? Yeah, it's called like the Traveling Wilburys or something like that. He worked on a Beatles anthology project, but shortly after that, in 1997, he was diagnosed with throat cancer. He blamed years of smoking, which, yeah, yeah probably. I'll do it. In 1999, George was attacked in his home. Someone broke in and stabbed him, puncturing his lung.
1: You, like, what the hell?
0: Yeah. What's but, with,
1: like, murderers?
0: <laughs> well, this wasn't a murder because his wife beat the man with a fire poker and incapacitated him. George thought he was going to die from that wound. His family blamed that attack for his cancer's return. He didn't die from the wound, but, like, it punctured a lung, and he already had throat cancer, so, like, wasn't great. Good God. By 2001, he was in Switzerland for a brain surgery to remove a tumor. On the 29th of November, 2001, he passed away in Beverly Hills at the age of 58. His last message to the world was, quote, Everything else can wait, but the search for God cannot wait and love one another
1: what oh okay and
0: he passed away at a property that was kind of secret but was owned by paul mccartney so it's safe to say that even Mm. though they bickered throughout like their entire relationship that they had kind of made up at the end ringo Starr has also had a successful music career post beatles enough so that he was inducted into the rock and roll hall of fame as a solo artist as well as a member of the beatles of course he has been married twice. The first marriage ended due to his drug slash alcohol use and his infidelity. i will do it. Yeah. He has three children and one of them is also a successful rock drummer.
1: What? Yep. In 2020,
0: he was cited as the wealthiest drummer in the world. Yeah. Ringo seems to be just kind of like the friendly guy. Like he got along with oh. all of them after the breakup. He's just he like. He looks adorable. Yeah, he's just like, he's, he's not really in it for the drama. He's just having fun. I th- he seems to be the one who most enjoys like his status as a Beatle, because I don't know. Like it seemed like the other ones were trying to be like, "No, I'm an artist, and I'm like a good musician." And it, Ringo's just like, "Yeah, that was a Beatle. Yeah, I'll talk about it. It was fun."
1: Who's his son?
0: Uh, someone Starkey. I don't know his name, but they've done like tours and albums together and stuff. Paul McCartney perhaps has had the most success since the Beatles' breakup. He started a new band called The Wings that had a string of hits in the 70s and the 80s. Now he's releasing solo albums, and he's still touring. He was arrested in 1984 for possession of marijuana, but he quit smoking weed in 2015 in order to be a good example to his grandchildren. Cute. Paul has said that he and John had a very tenuous relationship, but it ended well. A few days before John's last album released, Paul had a call with him and said, quote, It is a consoling factor for me, because I do feel it was sad that we never actually sat down and straightened our differences out. But fortunately for me, the last phone conversation I ever had with him was really great, and we didn't have any kind of blow-up. He also talked about it a few years later and said, I talked to Yoko the day after he was killed, and the first thing she said was, John was really fond of you. The last telephone conversation I had with him, we were still the best of mates. He was always a very warm guy. Wow. His bluff was all on the surface. He used to take his glasses down, those granny glasses, and say, it's only me. They were like a wall, you know, a shield. Those are the moments I treasure. There's a like a long story that apparently Paul went to visit. Not a long story, a legend. that Paul went to visit John in New York where John was living. And they were just, like, hanging out one night, just, like, drinking and watching Saturday Night Live. And whoever the host was joked about a Beatles reunion. And they were, like, very, very close to being like, why don't we just go down there? <laughs> that would have been amazing. Him and John just, walk, like, walk up to Rockefeller Center and just walk into the Saturday Night Live record <laughs> like, taping. It gracious. been great. It was also, like, apparently they were always competing like even in their songwriting days they were always competing who could write the better song and even though every song was credited as lennon and mccartney wrote it mm-hmm. it was mostly either one of them or the other one wrote it and they, like they the other one might like clean it up but it, like like paul wrote yesterday but john lennon is also credited on the writing credits and that's just how it worked so there was always like that tension of who is going to write the better song and apparently after the breakup John said he felt very comfortable in his hiatus after he had a kid because Paul wasn't releasing music he thought was good. So he's like, yeah, I'm fine. Like, I don't need to prove that I'm better than this. And then what spurred him out of his breakup or out of his hiatus was when Paul released a song. And he's like, ah, crap. (laughs) Like, I got to get back out there. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, like, they were always, they even had a few, like, diss tracks at each other, basically. And one of them, John Lennon's lyrics was like, the only good thing you ever did was yesterday. So like both a play on like the Beatles was all you had. And that was the, only, you haven't had a good song since yesterday. <laughs> a lot of little sparring. Was Goodness fun. gracious.
1: Fun yeah. It sounds really great. Tearing each other down. Lovely. Yeah.
0: So I've said this a couple times throughout the course of this podcast, but it's truly impossible to overstate the legacy of the Beatles, like perhaps more than any other person we've talked about. They inspired and influenced so much, and they were only a band for 10 years, which is wild. Yeah. A Rolling Stone writer said about them, quote, In the form of popular music, no one will ever be more revolutionary, more creative, and more distinctive. The Beatles changed the way people listen to music. They launched the album era instead of just, like, singles. Which is
1: honestly, like, I I live for that. I love that so much.
0: And they shaped the way that music can impact people's lives. Like, there's just, it's crazy what they were able to do. They also turned pop music, I don't know, turned, but they helped show pop music as, like, an art form instead of just Mm -hmm. simple little tunes. Like, it was art, and it was music, and it's great. All right, that's the Beatles. I like it. I feel like I've been talking for, like, three hours.
1: It's only been an hour and ten minutes.
0: (laughs) It's shorter than I thought it would be but you didn't contribute much, so we were able to power through it.
1: I was learning things, (laughs) and then I was also looking up all their albums.
0: Yeah. Well, the Beatles, like, this could be a whole show, and I'm sure there are whole shows dedicated to the Beatles. Like, I barely scratched the surface of the Beatles. Not long after I wrote this episode, I read a biography about the Beatles and learned a ton more that I didn't know. So,
1: What's your favorite Beatles fact?
0: I don't know. I mean, the one that John Lennon potentially is responsible for killing Stu Sutcliffe. That one's an interesting one. What? I thought I told you this one. Cause he either saves Stu Sutcliffe's oh, life. Oh right, killed right, him. right. Cause after Stu died, he oh, I don't know if I told this in the episode, but Stu died at like the age twenty one. Mm. Like he died way before the Beatles got success. He died of a brain hemorrhage. And they were able to see like a small pocket in his brain that is usually associated with brain trauma. And the only thing that like Astrid and his family thought it would come from was John hitting Stu and really hard. So there's that.
1: You have to tell about how he maybe saved him, though.
0: Oh, yeah. They got attacked as they left a gig in Liverpool. Like Stu got jumped by a few tough guys who just wanted to beat the Beatles up, apparently. And then like Pete Best, who was apparently a very large and intimidating man. And John, like, rushed in and just, like, beat up the guys and saved Stu. So it's also possible that the brain injury came from that instant. But no one really knows.
1: Goodness gracious. Yeah.
0: Fun times. That The period in Germany is crazy. Like, if you guys want to look more into the Beatles, look at that time. Because that was wild. That's really when they, like, became the Beatles. There's also, people did interviews with, like, Pete Best in, like, the 80s and 90s, too. He seems like he's doing okay. Okay. And the Quarrymen are back to being a band. Like, the original Quarrymen, like, before Paul joined, they just all got together again. Like, yeah, let's just do music again. So they're known as, like, John Lennon's (laughs) Quarrymen. And they're, like, releasing music. And it's fun. They're just these older guys who are probably just retired and just, like, hanging out and releasing music again. Cool. All right. Anything to add on the Beatles?
1: Ajax bit me.
0: That's not about the Beatles.
1: (laughs) He did. And it hurt my feelings. Oh, I'm sorry. I keep trying to pet him to, like... You know, regain our, our loving relationship. I can't tell if he's he's touching my leg because <laughs> he is comforting <laughs> me or because he's like, I swear to God, stay away from me.
0: Is Echo your favorite now? No. Okay. She'd never bit you.
1: I know, but I, I love her too. Sure. I do. All
0: right. Well, hopefully join us next week. I think we're talking about Motown next week. Okay. We do Motown, then Diana Ross. And cool. then Phil Spector. We do a bonus episode on him because I have to talk about him. It's a wild story. Really? Yeah. He's one of the more wild stories we've talked about. So, oh. I've gotta talk about him. And then I don't know because that's all I have written. Oh. So, we'll see where we go from there. Cool.
1: Have the best to Blessings.